0: Welcome to BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history with George Hoare in London. Hello. Hey yeah uh, Philip Cunliffe, who's in London, Canterbury, one of the two. In
1: Canterbury, yeah. Hey. Hello. Not the same. London hasn't grown quite that, that
0: big yet. But no, I'm it's wondering. true. Yeah. Uh, and myself in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And hello. 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 Amber Lee Frost in LA. Hello. How's it going? Hey
2: there. It's good. It's been a while.
0: It has been far too long. Far too long. Um, So let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. Um, We often talk on this uh, podcast, certainly when we talk about society and culture, we talk about individualism and about atomization, uh, and how these are factors in politics, for example, the decline of voluntary associations like trade unions, or maybe how protest often today seems more about expressing yourself than achieving political goals. Well, some of these contradictory attitudes are most clearly expressed with regard to the family today, the family as an institution, a lot of people on the left radicals seem to want to tear it down or dilute it, or at best ignore it. Um, So what we're talking about today are proposals for family abolition and looking at how much purchase they have and what they say about the left about radicalism and about contemporary society, I guess so. Uh, In preparation for this, I was looking back at Christopher Lash's book, Haven in a Heartless World, um, a study of the family. In the 1977 preface, or 78, I'm not sure, he says, many radicals in the 70s have rediscovered the importance of family ties, often without even having read Haven in a Heartless World. Some of them have come to this position out of a need to put their personal lives in order. Others have discovered the value of the family in the course of their experience as community organizers where once they found the family to be a bourgeois institution and a bastion of male chauvinism, they soon found that the working class family constitutes an important cultural resource in the working class struggle to survive. I think that's a pretty decent summation of his concerns in that book, actually. Um, But he's obviously reflecting on the wave of radicalism in the 60s and where that ended up in the mid-late 70s when he was writing. Today, though, we're kind of encountering a new wave of radicalism. The Great Awakening, which I guess you can date from something like twenty twelve, and I don't know, but I kind of feel like we should be talking about a revolution in cultural attitudes, which is happening right now. Um, And it's always an important question to ask about how continuous this is with the sixties revolt, because it bears a lot of similarities to it, but also some important differences. Anyway, with all that in mind, uh, we have a book here which we we're kind of using as a basis for discussion, amongst other things. Uh, A book by Sophie Lewis called Abolish the Family. Um, And she's, I guess, emerged as a foremost advocate of family abolition. Um, And she declares that uh, ever since the capitalist victory over the long 60s, the shout for abolition of the family has been buried beneath a strange kind of shame, that seems to tally, at least, with Christopher Lash's observation in the late '70s. But Sophie Lewis maintains that it's back now. Family abolition is back on the table, and she dates this to 2015, when concern with abolition—abolition abolition of prisons, of police, etc.—has now also turned to the family. So um, perhaps family abolition was in abeyance for, I don't know, 20, 30 years since the mid '70s, but now it's back. So, um, guys, we've all read Sophie Lewis's book, um, and I we're not going to pretend that it's a good book and that it's worthwhile to read. Um, But we've picked it because it maybe crystallizes or exemplifies a certain tendency, perhaps in exaggerated form. So just to get the, just to get the bullshit out of the way, what are you, (laughs) what are the bad bits of the book? So we can get that out of the way and and turn to the more serious stuff. Who wants to go? Yeah, I could, I could kick it off a little bit. I just think some of the,
1: the, I suggested that we get some of the over exuberance in the writing out of the way first, because it's, yeah, I mean, I think there are actually some good points in this, and I'll try and in the book, and I'll, I'll try and make that case as we as we go on. But some of it is written in a very, you know, very caffeinated way. There's a lot of uh, descriptions which have uh, a clear audience in the industry, not perhaps in in the general public. And that's I don't know, it it makes you think. What is the audience of this book? Who's who's trying to be convinced here? And so when you read it, there are some bits where you're just like, there's some pretty pretty strong uh, language in this bit or that bit. Amber? Uh,
2: I mean, I would say my problem, and you'll have to forgive me. I read Abolish the Family a while ago and like half a full surrogacy now are in the same time. So I'm probably going to like mix them up. But I think it makes sense to, you know, it's her oeuvre and they're definitely related. Um, I think a lot of my problems is that she makes a lot of normative statements Um sort of about what family is or isn't without justifying it, Mm -hmm. or, you know, without making the argument that that's actually the organization of the family. Um, Two, I mean, I think she argues that arbitrariness is what makes family bad. Um, Like, you know, the arbitrariness of biology, which one, I've got Tons of non-biological family. So again, it's another normative statement. But I don't think arbitrariness is definitely bad. I don't think a lottery, in terms of who you end up with, is necessarily bad for you. I think, I think having a family is a is a pretty good um, training for for children to know that you don't always get to pick your company.
0: Yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, I I also I mean talking about arbitrariness, um, some of her positions seem utterly arbitrary and she swings between declaring the family to be you know one thing this unfair lottery you know this is the question of arbitrariness that amber's just been talking about but also that it's intimately tied to work and that also it's a privatism but it's also a haven in a heartless world and it's just completely undecided on it also I i mean this is you know she this is um, peak millennial narcissism on her part but you know the number of I statements and not in a kind of confessional manner or in a way drawing from her experience but just as a way to underscore a political point she'll say what she feels like, which doesn't seem to me very much to the point. So you know she's just dis- discussing the the, the Soviet um, um, revolutionary. Kolontai, and dis- discusses that you know well there was good things and there was bad things and you know then she went with Stalin and blah 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 but there's no ignoring her capitulations yet one can still derive I feel considerable pleasure from the fact that for several decades she was the best known ambassador from the USSR well I'm glad that that gives you um, a feeling of pleasure pleasure um, it's yeah. it's quite nice yeah and just in 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 general I think it's the 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 book is like filled with these declarations where you're like, okay, so you're talking about this thing, and then suddenly you realize that, in fact, the reason for family abolition is that it's a decolonial imperative, and all traitors to the white race—the way that she describes herself—should uh, should embrace this position, which is nice. That KKK kind of language is is, is making a yeah. comeback on the radical yeah. left. Great, it's good that we're using That's that. That's a nice innovation.
2: Yeah, I would I would add to that as a broadly though a broad ambivalence. About everything and broad equivocating and a lot of cognitive dissonance. Like she's she has trouble holding a position um, about anything. You know, birth is horrible and traumatic, but also it's no different from any other work. Liz was a good example. Like it's uniquely, it is different, but also it's just like anything else. It's, well, you, you got to pick one.
0: Yeah, and at, and at the end we learn that actually immigrant families should not be separated because this is a bad thing. Um, but family should definitely be abolished. So that's the whole know, book yeah, yeah. Um, So anyway so you, so now you're listening to this listener and going why the hell are you talking about this book It's terrible um, But again, we want to kind of explore why um, these attitudes to the family have a certain, um, appeal on the left if they do and maybe question whether they do in fact have that and kind of what it says about maybe the family more broadly so it's this is just a sort of entry point um, but I want to know what t-
2: Phil has to say
3: yeah <laughs> yeah well I was going to say I think she's um, I think one thing that can be said for it is an attempt to you know seriously engage with myth um, Firestone's ideas I think is probably overdue um, but this yes. uh, this isn't it so you know um that's i guess the issue but it's worth it's worth um i guess it's worth recognizing the fact that she sees something there and thinking how she mangles some of that i think is also kind of worth thinking through as well so you know for the listeners who are wondering why we're why we're doing this um given our kind of uh skept- general skepticism you know which i share would i agree with what everyone's already said um but, yeah, I think there is something to the um to trying to think about Firestone's ideas and why you know why they might not work, which is a separate question from why Lewis's uh, um, arguments might not work.:
0: Yeah, nice. I think I'm glad you made reference to that. We're going to talk just in a second about how Lewis's account of the family and her proposals relate to other earlier radical proposals by both the new left and uh, the old left that preceded it. But I guess just to set this up, um, what is family abolition? If we take Sophie Lewis as the exemplary advocate of, of this position, what problems does family abolition address?
2: Um, I think that the big thing is she, again, she's very anti the arbitrary. So I think she says, uh, well, I know she says that it's a, you know, uh, a corrective to sort of a biological determinism Um, and you know, uh, sort of whatever, like not extending the the family to people outside of blood relatives, which again is insane, uh, because that most people's families are extended through, through marriage even, or, or whatever, that's a non blood relation thing. Um, I think she sees, she points out that the family is like the source of most abuse, but I the stuff of, the stuff about abuse is a little difficult because I'm not sure she has much of an understanding. Okay, I will say I only know this from an American context. But the majority of abuse cases in America are actually cases of neglect, not a, a kid being beaten or you know sexually abused. Mm. Um, it's an inability to care for a child as opposed to like predating on them. It's and it's been criminalized, essentially. I mean, you can go to jail for truancy in this country if your kid skips school too much. You can go to jail if you leave your kid in the car because you have to go to work. Um, uh, boy, I'm really out of practice with podcasting. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> No, but I, and, and I think yeah. the image that she, she depicts, because at the beginning of the book, she's like, you know, when you think of family, don't think of this nice kind of uh, rosy picture Perhaps drive from the 1950s of the nuclear family, but you know instead think about you know think about the mafia, think about that that's that's the sort of family you should think about. Mafia movies, or the British royal family, or the deadly logics of eugenics, honor killings, femicides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, think so, about the you know,
2: minority of things. Like don't yeah. think so, about how it usually presents. And I would say too, like there's a the trauma abuse things like that she makes kind of a causation correlation conflation I hate that I rhyme that but it's like well yeah obviously most of it who else has the opportunity to abuse a kid but experiments in collective parenting have a way higher rate of abuse I mean like (laughs) any smaller sample
0: but definitely higher rate
2: any utopian community you give them two weeks someone starts fucking kids like it starts out great and then and then the kid then the multiple marriages the kid fucking started
0: yeah
3: it's um i mean but the thing is also like you know i don't know that saying like you know the godfather is an unappealing an unappealing picture of family i mean that's true you know but on the other hand everybody likes to watch the godfather as well right (laughs) Yeah, and everybody sees kind of dynamics of their own family within it. You know, like sure. Fredo. You know, like um, a dominant patriarch, like this some, You know, a son kind of making his bid to take over. A sibling rivalries and all of that. I mean, so it's a very odd, you know, kind of saying. Think of like, think of the mafia, and that's why family is bad. Is yeah. a very odd way to kind of try and put you off family.
2: It's very romantic. We I mean like think yeah. about how many mafia movies I saw Goodfellas in the theater last week. It was like yeah, yeah. it's And for all its yeah.
0: faults, right? Um it will protect you from the outside world, which is, you know, what the cell of the family is or should be in theory. And that Sophie yeah. Lewis actually where where she gets it very wrong is that I think what she sees as the primary enemy for her and why the the family is complicit with the bad things in society is that is privatism basically that it closes off people from the outside world. Um, and what actually happens is probably that the family is not very successful nowadays in doing that because the family is kind of broken up penetrated, et cetera, from the outside. Yeah, so, it's a,
3: good, it's a so, good point because... So, like, the, the, mafia, privatism- so the mafia
0: actually, I mean, you, you were kind of doing this maybe somewhat just but the mafia actually represents kind of, well, it, they might kill you if you step out of line, yeah, but they're going to protect you from the outside world. It's a pretty tight-knit unit. No,
3: okay, but, yeah, no, sure. So the mafia was, like, you know, the kind of the, the rural you know, kind of self-protection that, you know, Italy, the Italian peasants developed to protect themselves from the predation of the state, and it's transplanted to the East Coast, whatever. Um, But it's more, you know, it's not even, I'm not even saying that. Like, I'm just saying that the romance of the Mafia movie, you know, kind of, it already acknowledges, the point is that it acknowledges the kind of the bad part of family and builds it into the account of family life. You know, I mean, I think... Ordinary people kind of know that families come with good and bad. I mean, you know, you'd be in, you'd be a very odd person to kind of imagine, not already to incorporate the kind of the um the complexity of family mm-hmm. into your account of family. Um, the idea that everyone's a dupe out there and is bought into some kind of idealized uh, image of the family from the nineteen fifties is already, um, you know, it seems to me kind of uh, misplaced. Yeah. So I think it's,
1: yeah, I think it's more common today that, and, and this is not, not what she does to have this kind of liberal social engineering critique of the family. Like the family is bad because it's the site of all the reproduction of inequalities of various different sorts. So we need to undermine the control that the parents have over children because we want to rectify all these social inequalities. That's not the approach that she takes, but I think yeah, that seems almost like the the current default, like skepticism of, of the family. I don't think, probably that many people buy into uh, the ideology. I don't know.
3: Who believes, who the hell believes in privacy, you know, right? So the idea that everyone is kind of shuttered up and terrified of the outside world while they're abusing their kids, kind of protected from, you know, kind of the social workers and the cops and all that. I mean, that doesn't exist, right?
2: Yeah. Sophie Lewis watched The Brady Bunch and thought she was reading Flowers in the Attic. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so three claims that um, come through the book in kind of potted ways, um, which maybe it's worth setting out. So Sophie Lewis at one point early on describes the family as a harsh lottery, i.e. the idea that children don't get to choose their parents, um, which is kind of a nonsensical statement because, you know, Parents socialize children. Children aren't just these autonomous actors that spring into the world and get unfortunately attached to their parents. They're products of their parents in one, whether biologically or socially, and often both. Um, the,
2: well, but so, I'm the, sorry, just jump in. So go they're, ahead. Yeah, they're products of lots of things. I always say, like I, you know, when I worked in daycare, I realized um, parents both over and underestimate the influence they have on their children. Like you're not going to control their interests. You're not going to control their moods or their general personality or things like that. That's not really things you can shape too much in terms of intervention, or or rather you can present them with a crossroads. They will notice if you're miserable all the time. In that way, you do influence them. Uh, And everything else, like they do go to school, They they are in the world, even, you know, in the rural places I've lived like they are socialized by people other than parents already so this idea of like parents as the I mean especially being from the UK like you can't even like homeschool there like mm. there's no there's no uh you know doomsday prepper you know natalist uh you, you uh,
1: there is there are some not many but yeah, yeah it's, 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 be it's much out, more difficult yeah. to homeschool and to kind of build a it should be that's what I
2: think her strength is too is that she she does believe that children should be and I I agree with this should be more integrated with a broader world um and both in terms of like support but you know hey what about nationalized daycare and more playgrounds and Mm. (laughs) like more resources for children more more child-friendly spaces like that's enough i most public schools again like, it's just, yeah, noticeably, she. I
0: mean, she's kind of sneery about these things as a kind of wishy washy, moderate position. I mean, this is not, not so explicitly, but you know, she kind of goes, yeah, but that's just about kind of helping the family or, you know, extending the family or the bounds of care beyond the nuclear family. No, we need to abolish it. We need to stake out a more radical position. Um, but there's so there's two other claims that I wanted to bring up. The family is an ideology of work which is a, a kind of clunky way to phrase it. But anyway, she's closely associating the family to work. Is she right about that? Is, it, is that a fair description at some point in history and isn't today anymore? Phil?
3: it's. I think you know so. I mean, means. I think it's the most dystopian aspect of what she argues in effect, um, because it's that, you know, kind of, I mean, it is work in the sense of like, you know, the basic you know, social reproduction and kind of maintaining oneself and, you know, one's um, kind of de- dependents and partners and what have you. So, I mean, obviously it is work in that sense, but when it's brought into, you know, when she's trying to kind of make it equivalent to unpaid labor and to make that kind of, um, that move, you know, that seems to me like it opens the door to all sorts of um all sorts of deeply sinister and um, dystopian ideas. You know, the idea then is like, if it's work, then why not just make it all contractual? You know, so from her point of view, like, you know, she's seeing it from the idea that this is work and work is intrinsically exploitive and oppressive and wouldn't it be better if it was kind of organized on a different view, on a different line. But in the current context of, um, you know, kind of late stage or decaying neoliberalism, in which there is absolutely no, you know, meaningful kind of political alternative. All it means is, like, to frame it in those terms is to make it another kind of um, another site for kind of potential commodification and, you know, colonization by NGOs and social workers and, you know, whatever else.
2: Yeah, um, I think to a Nevada mushroom bar, I think. Uh, wrote sort of a, a criticism of her, of her book on surrogacy. That is, it's very good and worth reading, um, but it does become a little. I think she she does it really well, but it becomes a little bit difficult when the anti work position argues for almost an exchange of the commodification of everything. And she's sort of like she's described, uh, uh, you know, fetuses as like a bringer of carcinogens, and um, and it's like, well, a fetus is a cancer in your uterus, but capitalism isn't,
0: <laughs> right? So, what, what what kind of exchange? You mean that like the kind of UBI position, for example, is that you allow everything to be commodified in exchange for not having to work? Basically, is that?
2: Yeah. I think there's a, uh, yeah, you get your little gerbil pellet and everything and you don't work, but it's, it's so anti-work and I'm not an anti, anti-workist, like either in the sense of, of what it means now in terms, I think we should all work less and things like that. But I think meaningful work is actually a pretty good part of life. Um and a, and a social obligation. Um, and what counts as meaningful, I mean, as a podcaster, don't worry. It's a pretty wide range, you know. There's a lid for every pot. Um, or maybe after the revolution I would be carrying garbage, but I would only be doing it like 20 hours a week. I'm okay with that too. Um, I don't – you have to sort of that's find Alex, meaning in that's Alex,
3: it. that's Alex gorovich's revolution, not the revolution that we endorse. Don't worry, Amber. Yeah. You I was, won't be I'm carrying garbage.
0: I, I was yeah. – <laughs> Yeah.
2: But I think uh, the to be able to conceive of doing anything that exerts energy as anything other than work is a little bit strange because people often have and historically have had children quite voluntarily. And I don't mean planned. I think it's very funny when people say, well, it was unplanned. And it's like, what are you ta- like? That's been every child in the world up until like you know 1956 in a small corner of the population like <laughs> right that's not that's that's talk about a lottery um, but I, I don't know that thinking of that as work really makes any sense because she said the only difference between that is a wage. And I'm like, that's a pretty big difference. You know, (laughs) like the weight, I I don't know if you're a Marxist or not, but for us, wage, very big deal. Very big deal, (laughs) wage.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's not even just an observation that, well, there's a lot of unpaid work that goes on in the household, which, you know, wouldn't count as an insight in 2023. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, nevertheless, at least that would be something. It seems to be that she wants to literally turn it into conceive of it as as work. Um, This question of work is important. And we're going to come back to it, actually, because uh, we need to discuss how a broader concern with care relates to um, the way that the work is seen, I guess, in a lot of kind of radical propositions today. Um, One final point where I think uh, Sophie Lewis comes close to um, insight again. By insight, it's something just repeating something that's been done for um, for for you know over a century. But nevertheless, you know, um, almost stumbles upon a good a good point, which is that you know the family is a shield that human beings have taken up to survive a war. Well, indeed. But she, um, after acknowledging this, says that. Uh, basically, shouldn't we at some point want to end the war and put down the shield? Um, which you know, okay, interesting. Let's see how that goes. Though it seems that her proposal is to put down the shield of the family, and then the war will end. Um, <laughs> which seems to me to be a way of waving the white flag and going, "Yes, I will submit to the war of all against all, and the war of capital waged against humans." And uh, and we'll and then and that's what we'll just have to live with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yeah, hope that
0: something but, utopian and good comes out of it.
2: But what war are, say, like the bourgeoisie or people living in traditional societies, I guess you could say nature if you have to go out and hunt every day, but like, what war are the bourgeoisie fighting against? Or are they just the only people for whom parenting and children are are permitted to be a joy?
0: Right, but even there, even there, the, competi- the the degree of competition, you know, getting kids into the top schools, da 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 da, is is a war. Of course, in a much less consequential way than for for the majority, but nevertheless,
3: I think. I mean, I think it might say, it might say something about her own kind of um, outlook, as much as any kind of uh, objective account of social, you know, society today. Um, that she sees it as, you know, society is nothing but these kind of individuals locked in this war with each other and the family is one mode of protection um but she sees it as this you know she has this kind of deeply um yeah i guess sebesian kind of view that there is nothing but kind of this raw competition and that i mean you know as critical as we as uh, one would wish to be that it does seem to me to be um one sided you know well one sided it doesn't doesn't seem to me to be real you know well, it yeah, depends
1: I... what you start with. I think one of the, you know, one of the starting points that I would say she has is that the individual is fundamentally vulnerable and needs, does need, does need some protection and kind of flips this idea. The family gives this protection to know the family is actually the source of, you know, the, the people, the war of all against all the people who are closest to you are the ones that you're warring against the most nice. yeah. um, kind of aggressively. So if you were able to maybe subtract yourself from that entirely, that would be a good position in the state of nature. You could I think
0: it's like Fortnite. You could go and hide or something
1: um, yeah. when everyone's trying to attack you. I think but. that's right. That
0: is right, isn't it? It's because it's the world is filled with abusers, right? I mean, this is uh, this is where we're, we're getting to kind of a much more mainstream view, not necessarily Sophie Lewis's view, right? The world is filled with abusers. Um, we're all vulnerable and need protection from them. And the family is a way of enclosing that behind walls and allowing abuse to, to go on um, without, you know, right. um, without anyone, without anyone stepping in, basically. And- There's a lot of
2: violence in prison. I think is like a, a way <laughs> she would think of it.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. I think that's right. Um, so um, to leave Sophie Lewis to one side, we'll we'll come back to her, no doubt. But um, how does her account sit in relation to other earlier radical proposals? Indeed, ones that Sophie Lewis herself discusses, whether it's Friedrich Engels. Um, or Shulamith Firestone? Um, how do we kind of um, compare these? Um, because I think a lot of uh, people who are fans of Sophie Lewis would, and, and who would see themselves as Marxist or communists or um, radicals in some way would claim a lineage uh, with these earlier radical movements and say they were against the family. They were for moving beyond the family and we are too. So um, are they? It's worth asking
3: though, before you are before that answering that it's worth asking who are the fans, right? Yeah. Um, Who are the fans of Sophie Lewis? Because she's had, you know, I mean, as you know, so listeners will see the, um, you know, the interview in vice where she goes through some of the responses that have been, you know, that her arguments have met. And so she's had, you know, kind of amusement, outright kind of outrage and criticism from across the board. Um, and so, you know, clearly, I mean, she's got, you know, I mean, she's a known kind of public figure as a result of these arguments. But it's not clear to me that there is kind of a very distinct constituency that has articulated its support where there's, there has been plenty of criticism from across the political spectrum. So it's worth saying, you know, who are her? Does she actually have a clear kind of set of supporters or is she kind of, is she known for the fact of being um, a controversialist? Cause it's not clear to me that, you know, I mean, I can think of all the kind of people who might support her, but I don't know if they do, you know, actually support her.
2: Yeah. I think the thing is, is that she's a provocateur, like that it's abolish the family in full surrogacy now, like those are provocative titles, which I think I would be, uh, I think, generally makes me not take someone that seriously for better or worse. I think if she was a more literary writer, I'd be okay with it. But it's like, well, and I talk about feminism turning uh, away from user facing to industry facing. It's like the techification of America where it's like, well, nobody asked to have to use the dongle. Like, but they added it because they're like, well, of course I, an apple employee or a tech guy have the airpods you shouldn't have to you know plug in a thing and it's like well the rest of us are doing that's that that's
0: the that's the fallocentrism that we're trying to get beyond you know like get yeah. rid of the dongle i knew I you think, were going to make a dongle joke it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. It,
1: inevitable
2: but i think the uh the, the thing about sort of feminism more broadly is that it's no longer women facing, it's feminism industry facing. And I think rather mm. than fighting for an ideology or a politics, she's trying to carve out her space among people like her, people in publishing media, you know, uh, I would say politics, but it, not real politics. It's not like there's a politician that's talking about Sophie Lewis. This is like a, very rarefied kind of internal economy of, of thought. And, um, I, I think that's worth pointing out At the same time. Normally I would say that this makes her like a marginal nut or whatever, but I think the fact that, um, she's an extreme version of like a kind of a few odd sentiments. The fact that her lineage, which by the way, I don't know if you meant to make a pun there comes sort of from, you know, uh, Firestone and Ingalls or, you know, if you like, doesn't, but she, she claims them. I think she does have some right to say it's her lineage, but you know, maybe they had one kid that was fucked up. Um, (laughs) yeah, you, you get a, you get a rotten one every once in a while, but I'm not sure. I think it makes sense to think about her as a morbid symptom and the fact that even that the fact that in this time, This argument as the family is being, families are being broken up constantly and have been for a very long time. As, like, one of the big demands for welfare is that you could have a boyfriend or a husband that lived with you, uh, you know, in project housing, because it broke up families, because women were forced to appear as single mothers. And, like, that situation to say abolish the family is so removed from what people are currently. Fighting for it to sort of keep their families together. Even she talks about like migrant work, like, or like migrants Mm. and refugees and stuff like that not being separated. And it's like, say that to them. Like, go into the world, walk up to someone in the supermarket, start a conversation in a bar. It's just a good test. Like, can you work this into a conversation with a normal person without them suddenly? smiling and you know in that frozen way and being like that's interesting I have to go
1: yeah pretending to do take that. their phone and just yeah, uh, yeah, leaving yeah. I mean yeah. I guess one thing that I was thinking is whether this you know whether there is a potential constituency of essentially like middle class downwardly mobile millennials or maybe gen z but I mean if there is an extent to which the kind of the generation left or the generational discourse which is like anti-parents can be generalized into anti-family because there are some objective reasons why you know there could be that kind of generational tension um but yeah i think that's and that would be a bigger constituency but still there's a bit of a way to go but from yeah. like boomers have ruined our life chances to like you know
3: abolish to make that a general yeah but but it's yeah. in the, maybe it's no, in the I same think, sort of no i think you're right ballpark. i think it's it is it is kind of in um it is in line with the kind of um Uh, the discourse of war between generations. And it's kind of a continuity. So when she says abolish the family, what she's really saying is kind of um, free up the wealth that the boomers kind of have tied up in their big houses, you know, that they managed to get and uh, let it be kind of shared out among me and my hipster friends who live in like small, you know, kind of cramped accommodation in um, these nice parts of town where we want to continue living, but it's too expensive, can't get really good jobs. And I mean you know, like I know it's kind of uh, perhaps it's an easy being you know, a kind of perhaps it's a blow below the belt, but it seems to me it's very you know it's like uh, oh, frustrations in her private life that are kind of turned into a social theory, you know, yeah, not that um, there's
1: anything necessarily wrong with that you have gotta start with your lived experience Well, you gotta start you gotta you gotta
3: start you gotta start with something, it's true, but i I can't help but see it in. You know, in those terms that there is, it's kind of a radicalization of the anger uh, at um, at parents, essentially.
2: Yeah, normally I said I tend to stay away from things like, you know, biography. If the person doesn't bring it up and they're alive, if they're dead, fair game. Um, but I, I, she does bring it up and I'll be more below the belt than, than you that girl's messed up. Uh, and I think the degree to which she both has, like, cognitive dissonance constantly throughout the book, because I think that is real. I don't think it's completely, like, cynical, you know, get the media class to write about me and piss off right-wingers or, or whatever. Um, but to the extent that, that she holds these ideas in their head, it, like, she talks about, like... In the in the surrogacy book, she has this traumatic thing in her childhood where she, you know, they had seen a a play at a friend's house already, just like we were having high tea on the like already big class indicator, um, and there was like. Uh, some premise where there was the, the the paternity of a child was in question. And she was like, that's ridiculous. You'd still love me if I wasn't, you know, if I was the milkman's kid. And she said her, her dad didn't say no. He just didn't say anything. And it's like, it was just devastating for her. And I was like, lady, you're almost 40. Like, I I, know. I mean, really though, it's like, that's, if you want to have bad dad competitions, I will beat you. And I like we all got daddy issues, but if that's still devastating to you, also what your dad's not allowed to think about it. You're an adult now. It's not the best way to parent, but like your dad isn't allowed to have his consciousness raising journey about what it means to be a father. We didn't invent like what being a father was until like five years ago. They don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah, well, I and mean, it's telling that voice- she's.
1: That vice piece, it it did it did make me sort of think that actually, in some ways, it would have been more compelling if it had been like, I don't know, if if she had so, sort of said, oh, and obviously this isn't her biography, and you can't like change your biography just for the sake of an interview, but like here, I had this like perfect nuclear family up- upbringing, you know, it, it's all fine, and even at that kind of, you know, the the, the perfect ex- exemplar of that, it still right. has all of these contradictions, but it seems. Yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't read that, that voice interview because it made me, you know, and that's not necessarily what you should do as a reader, project the biography onto the, you know, the theory, but I just kind of, I should have um, just stayed
0: away from, from from the biography and just well, handle the like that she comes she comes through so strongly yeah. through, in the book like you're it feels like you're sitting in a bar with her and her, her telling you this um in part because it's so unstructured it sounds like she's just sat down and wrote what was in her head right at the moment um but there's also a denial which isn't very convincing in the book Who says no family abolition is not a puerile politics albeit children must be on the front lines of imagining it um which is terrible. And also it sounds like she's talking about herself, the child imagining this future. She politics. wants to be baby
2: forever. I mean, that's the indication yeah. here. It's like, we all need care. I want to be baby forever. They don't like babies because babies are competition for care. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly that's, right. That is, that is yes. right.
1: So, I mean, so actually I had to just, sorry, Alex, just just quickly, and, and this is like a half-formed thought, but it, it is almost like a child's view or a child's theory of the family I think that's one of the problems with Firestone as well right you know, starting from this perspective of of the child questioning authority undermining it, essentially almost ana- anarchistic and not sort of you know recognizing that there is a necessity I would at least argue of having some sort of you know some sort of authority within society um, of various different sorts perhaps but it, it does seem like a kind of you know and that's that's in some ways undermining the political agency of the adults to say children you're just as much a political agent as I am well no there has to be that division between adults and children if you're going to if you're going to kind of take yeah, otherwise
2: it's meaningless. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to read a quote that I actually and this is from surrogacy now but it's it's, it's reiterated and and abolish the family how what how might we develop together with children an understanding that it is not nature but love in all its contingency that is the real source of the stability to which all children have a right and i have uh well you can't because they're children we don't listen to those assholes about anything they don't know what they're talking about but also the way children developmentally understand the family whether it's biological extended or anything is that it's natural abstract conceptions of like love or an intentional social formation maybe when they're 12 or 13 or something but it doesn't matter if they uh, you know if they're raised by grandparents or if they're adopted and know it or whatever their understanding developmentally of family is that it is something natural because they mm. are creatures of nature What parenting is, is they give you an animal and then you kind of nudge it as it becomes a person. Like you provide a context for it to not get hurt so that it can develop into a person. And, you know, there's some guidance involved, but honestly, I still come from the, you know, the position that a lot of parenting is just being around benign neglect. Feed them, don't beat them, pay attention, you know, but like you what are you talking about this collaborative thing with children? They eat Tide Pods. They're morons. I love them, but they're very stupid and they don't know what's going on. They literally, physically, intellectually do not have the capacity to think of an abstract concept of family. They're like, this is my unit. The first trauma you have is realizing that your mother or whatever your caregiver is, isn't an arm that you can flex you know, it, yeah. that it isn't a limb, it, that it's a different person. The first trauma is different person. Your first word, no matter what it is, is mother, because it's a screaming wail you make for to call over the person you need to change you or hold you or feed you, which is a metonym in baby for mother or parent or caregiver or whatever. They are natural creatures. Like the whole point of parenting is to get them out of that <laughs> so they're not little animals. Um, yeah, it's just, it just very utopian about sh- children. It's very, as much as she dislikes the Victorian idea of it, it's very cult of childhood. And I think Firestone is a little guilty of this as well, where it's like, yeah, there's this pure kind of Versoian little imp sprite that develops on its own. And, uh, you know, you see, the only thing I found comparable that I've seen lately was there's an anti, uh, diet, like parenting mommy blogger where people are like, well, what do I want to do if my kids just want to eat Oreos? And she's like, let them otherwise look at body issues. And, you know, actually, if you restrict what they have, they're more likely to rebel and have weight problems later. And it's like, there's literally no evidence to support that at all. Like, children eat what you give them. And again, like, one of the reasons you introduce foods early is because you have to develop a palate. Like, that's where intervention comes. They don't do... They're not like, yeah, I think I'll try sushi today. Like, they go towards the familiar, and the familiar tends to be the first thing they've seen, you know, or the thing that's around them most often. It's just a very weird it's difficult for me to talk about this book because like the the not just the underlying premises that she's operating on but like the ones under that the very deep foundations are not correct they're not the way the world is or the way children are or the way parents are or it's like how deep can yeah. i go <laughs> that yeah. it's still wrong
3: and i think it's also you know i can't help but thinking about all of it, like, it just strikes me, like, there's a weird kind of, um, you know, what she wants is some kind of matriarchy, essentially. Um, but not in any, not even in a kind of uh, fully conscious sense, you know, but in the sense that when she has this idea of kind of generalizing motherhood and exploding all the kind of the functions of the family and redistributing them over society as a whole, it's this, you um, you know, it's this kind of uh, it's it's kind of it's just it's deeply creepy, you know, and I'm, it's very I'm, different.
1: I'm not sure I agree. Sorry. To, I, I don't don't think you don't think, think, it is a, you don't think no. it's creepy. Or, no, <laughs> no, I don't think <laughs> it's a generalized. I don't think it's a generalized model of motherhood because it's it's more of a celebration of basically what Amber was saying, like children's innate ideas and, you know, the natural state that we're in, which actually is, you know, a, a repudiation but of the that responsibility is, that, that it, adults have.
3: I would for say children. No, but that is what I meant. That is what I meant there, right? So kind of, you know, where there's some great kind, you know, there's an agency out there that will look after us, you know, mother.
2: The world should be mother and we all get to be baby.
3: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But in effect, right, what it will be, right, if you did have her kind of um, society, it would require this kind of, um, it's like that... um, uh, is it Raised by Wolves? Is that the name of the show, the TV show, with yeah. the computer called Mother that's raising all the kids? You know, the AI. I mean, that is kind of the that would in this kind of post apocalyptic kind of you know wasteland. That would be just- that you know the only way that she could live in that society as if you had this tremendous kind of benevolent controlling agency that cared entirely for all your needs administered to you and you could be a child and we could all be kids but it would require like you know some somebody to be kind of big mother essentially
2: this, so this, this like the, the, as she, she talks she about I this think gives it off Oh, I was going to say she no. talks about this within terms of anti-work and the world being. She calls herself a cyborg feminist. She wants a giant, like, digital bureaucratic teat for the world, and we all get to be baby forever. <laughs>
0: yeah. it, it's techno. So I think here we're getting to it. It's techno primitivism, right? Because she, at several points in the book, hints at this idea that you know, uh, family abolition is is kind of uh, one at the same time decolonial um, and kind of talks about. Uh, pre-Columbian civilizations or something like that. And basically that's it. It's the kind of, you know, the extended family child rearing kind of spread out over the tribe or whatever. But of course, this as a model for uh, the 21st century is just bizarre. So either it's just a kind of Is it the
3: pre-Columbians who used to carve out hearts to give them to the sun or- Yeah, no, I I I didn't think about that. I was like, not the Aztecs,
0: probably not the Aztecs. There were other (laughs) select tribes, which are nicer. Um, But what's funny is also how much this is a- like this is if you were to show this book, this just is every right wing, and not just not right wing, but kind of, um, kind of popular fear that is very pervasive today and and well grounded, even if there's paranoid elements to it, of having everything that well, what what little you have left taken away from you, right? That mm-hmm. the, the that you'll learn nothing and be happy. That well, exactly. That the communists <laughs> are going to come and take your house and take your car and yeah. take your family too um, and this is just well, per, this is just exactly that now what's interesting is that the right have this term uh, the kind of alt right have this term or neo-reaction at the longhouse right which is this um, idea of the matriarchy and the longhouse itself is some is an indigenous kind of construction where they would all live in this matriarchy so it all kind of comes around and it's like oh this just book seems like it was created by kind of the alt right as a way, as a kind of justification for their own politics. It's, it's incredible.
2: It's another cognitive dissonance thing where she argues against naturalism and that there's anything good about being natural, or even that there's anything natural about being natural, but then she sort of reverts to like whatever pre-modern society and like says that we're all, but the way those, a way a lot of traditional societies are organized are micro level things where you have daycares or your grandmother takes care of a kid. They still have a mother and father usually, unless it's a society where there's very extreme conditions where like polygamy exists or something. It's it. it, Yeah. The the techno primitivism thing is very weird. It's like, we're all going to be digital tribesmen, but one, I don't think she, she doesn't want to do what the digital, what tribesmen do which is like also have to go out and hunt and provide for people like and yeah, and also she doesn't really want to know how they actually operate which can be like fairly complex systems of of uh like social and and labor organizations so that you you essentially have daycares it's like what you think is like a radical thing it's just a daycare aside
0: yeah, and they're normative and regulated informally, right? And she's a pretty antinomian by this, by the sounds of it, right? It's all go out and have queer sex, and sounding like some kind of like a ranty conservative, go out and have <laughs> queer sex all the time. You gotta get work, <laughs> but but like that side kind of her vision. So anyway, what I wanted to bring up because I want to uh, move away a little bit from Sophie Lewis to talk a little bit more broadly about contemporary liberal left, postmodern thought, whatever, which, uh, you know, is not just this kind of little le- weird left wing thing, but um, I think seems to uh, have an element of confluence with social policy, for example. Anyway, so it's it's this idea that, uh, as Sophie Lewis says, the, so, the family is doing a bad job at care and we all deserve better. The family Citation. is getting in the way of alternatives. Yeah.
2: Citation, please. Uh, The family isn't getting in the way of anything. The family's losing. But also family doing a bad job of care compared to what? Shit that she loves that phrase, by the way, compared to what? And she says, Oh, the families are good compared to what? And it's like, well, then you just said families are bad. And like, that's the answer compared to what? Like, you know, the source family that fucked all the kids? Like what? Like, I don't. Well, and a a lot of state policy,
0: rather than providing welfare, has been concerned with um, this idea that family is getting in the way of providing care, and without really providing the uh, capacity and and, um, resources to have a family to sustain a kind of stable, decent family life, and instead, um, you know, kind of pursue interventions which interfere with the autonomy of parents and so on. And like, but the but the left seems broadly speaking to be. to go along with this um, perception of things and to be concerned with care and I like I, I think this is worth asking why to use a term that Dustin Gostella used used in, in a in a recent piece in damage of anti-social socialism why anti-social socialism is centrally preoccupied with care today
3: okay first of all alex you need to fucking give you need to give people due when they come up with terms right so, who came up with anti social socialism? Who did? I'll give you a clue.
2: <laughs> On the podcast? Somebody who was writing critiques.
3: Yeah, somebody who was writing <laughs> fucking criticisms of the lockdown left, the socialists who were opposed to society. Yeah. Before Dustin Gastella kind of started talking about anti social socialism. So, um, in answer to the care,
1: It's basically all there in the Communist Manifesto anyway, so, whatever. Uh, well (laughs) Well, done, thank you. Thank
3: you, thank you. Well, look, I mean, if we don't big ourselves up on the pod, George, where can we, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
3: So, in the answer to the question about care, right, um, this branch of thought is centrally preoccupied with care. Um, I mean, it's partly that kind of, like we are saying, it's the kind of that um, longing for protection. Um, and the longing for, um, you know, security and stability, and all the rest of that in a world in which, um, you know, the precariousness is felt also by the science of the middle class who, you know, kind of confront a world which has turned out not to be the one that they were sold, or the one that they expected. Um, and I think it's also, um, it's an expression of the inability to think of social transformation you know so instead of thinking of society as something which is potentially transformable and that social relations are um manipulable or at least through politics instead what you seek is um you know what you seek is security i think it's another it's another variant of um preferring security to liberty
2: so so i was I gonna think to that's say sort right. of like and- the opposite is that what she would like But this is the cognitive dissonance thing where she holds somehow simultaneously holds both position. And there's always going to be an antagonism between sort of liberty and security or or if you like autonomy and safety or something like that. But there's the other thing is that, like, she believes you'd be she believes you're like freer to abuse in a family situation but you are free. You are free to ignore in this defamilied situation. It's like there's too many. You have too many freedoms within a family, but then it's very restrictive in terms of freedom. I don't quite understand what she's talking about a lot of the time.
0: <laughs> well, I think this is where the, so so the, so the kind of like techno AI mother image that Phil referenced earlier might be actually kind of the key to understanding the vision because it's a world where the family imposes work, right? And it's unpaid uh, labor, especially on women. And so they want to be, she wants to be freed from that. Okay, good. Um, And in that vision uh, in which the family is exploded, it's abolished. um, People are free to make their own um, connections and commitments to each other. Although it seems that commitment isn't a, a, a major concern of hers. In fact, everyone's pretty free floating here. There is no commitment. There's no responsibility, obligation, or duty within this. Care is important, but it care then is outsourced to the, I guess, sovereign yes. mother, yes. sovereign mother who cares for the people and people are allowed to be free there. Now, no one actually works in this. No one performs the amount of socially necessary labor to reproduce Society, and I, I don't mean reproduce society literally in terms of child having and rearing. I mean just actually reproducing our material world in, in in its entirety. No one's actually doing that, and therefore this is a world. I think this is another way in which these visions are completely cut off from any concern and notion of production, whether affirmatively or critically. Just production just is something that happens somehow magically um, off in the distance, and life. Is able to continue and therefore why should you be working in this world you should be you know caring for one another or going off and having queer sex while techno mother cares for you
1: but there's a there's another question here which is like why why is care so important i think the you know you've got to give um people their their props when they come up with with new social theories and this is from pete ramsey this idea of vulnerability as ideology it's a, like care is particularly important the more that you think that individuals are vulnerable or vulnerated i.e have already suffered that injury and the more yes. central that trauma is the more you're going to say that care is the thing that mm. the the subject needs the most um so i think that's probably the ultimate like cause of all this anti-social socialism is that people have internalized that that politics of fear and that's a very heavily um, heavily summarized version of pete's essays that we should link to in the show notes but i think that's that's kind of central if you start from that position of the of the individual that's what you need more than anything you don't need kind of political control or political rights or whatever you need stupid babies need the most attention (laughs) well yeah quite quite uh
2: yeah okay so just sort of like extend from that it goes into the anti-work stuff too where it's it's caring for yourself and it doesn't have a lot of caring for others though and it doesn't seem like there's any consideration of people might enjoy it reminds me very much of kind of like the second wave like radical feminism being like you're being penetrated it's injury to you and it's like uh yeah i like it and whether that's socialized or not uh you're not going to sell people on it, and I think to the degree to which socialist projects should be um, involved in sort of shaping desires, the baseline of say, do you want socialized healthcare that's you know distributed by the state? Someone might be like, ooh, or or no, but if you say, do you want healthcare? The answer is yes. If you say, hey, do you want, uh, you know, more daycare available? Do you want, um, you know, child credits, more more time? They would say yes. Uh, but if you said, do you want to abolish the family and, and parents communally? They would say absolutely not. And it's a thing that's happening sort of more often within desperation. Like mutual aid is just poor people sharing what little they have. But she talks a lot about mutual aid. And I think it's another example of, of taking a trend that has been accelerating, which is the degradation of families saying we should do it. And actually it's good. It's, it's trying to Mm -hmm. change what people want instead of trying to change the world and sort of condescending to people's actual impulses and desires. And it's like, you know, Who are you talking to? Like,
0: who are you talking
2: to is a good thing to ask any writer. And you should be able to come up with some kind of an answer, even if it takes you well. Other than her fellow, you know, provocateur, radical, liberal, you know, primitivist cyborg feminist you know this this doesn't apply what what is the point of a again another cognitive dissonance she calls it utopian but it's like this is a dystopia you describe all the horrible ways in which or you describe a lot of horrible ways in which families are uh, commodified and and attacked by capital and then you say what if we finish that project and if we finish that project, the dystopia will become a utopia. It's kind of an um, atomization yeah, accelerationist.
0: But that's it. She's that, 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 it. pissing I on it, our shoes and liberal, telling us it's raining. <laughs> yeah. Radical liberal left, I think is fundamentally, their object is, their objective, their whole politics is accelerationist, but not in the way that that term used to be used. It's mm-hmm. kind of about just ripping up uh, what little of society there is. And I think this is, this is something which strikes me about discussions of patriarchy right that somehow the patriarchy has to be reconstructed to be to be dethroned once again um while at that while the reality is that there is no patriarchy um and likewise with racism we have to rebuild up racism um as much as possible to be to then attack it um
2: job security yeah, baby I mean, <laughs> we, you know. so
0: i mean she she kind of mentions and i mentioned it
1: before the communist manifesto and this you know this idea that you know capitalism has basically already abolished the family, and she you know she does mention this, but I think if you really kind of exactly what you're saying Amber is like this is this is the you know this is the way things are moving anyway so how radical is it to say let's just take this existing trend and and basically take it to its completion you know that yeah. it seems to me like that's probably the most in some ways the most damning criticism you can have of of it that for all the kind of radical framing is it actually that radical taking something which is already kind of happening or happened, and just taking it to the next stage and trying to change people's desires, as you said, so that they they like it rather than um, <laughs> oppose it. it she seems, would
2: say, uh, "You know, are you changing
1: dystopia. the material?
2: A full dyst, a half dystopia bad, a full dystopia good. Like, uh, gotta be the handmaiden of the yeah. end." And you know what? It's accelerationism but, with no endpoint. Like it's not like, oh, we wreck everything and then and then a good thing happens. It's like we wreck everything, and that is the good thing.
0: Yeah, well, it's not like these the, pushing these contradictions to their logical conclusion will then somehow reveal a new situation which is revolutionary when we're suddenly completely freed of all kind of social bonds. That now, but I don't think we're she going to be truly revolutionary.
2: I don't think she thinks it's a new situation. Like, I think she's like. Uh, uh, what she's describing is just the things that happen to poor people all the time. I, I, when my mom was pregnant, she lived in my mamaw's house and we lived with my grandpa till I was five. And, uh, you know, had various, you know, family arrangements like that. That's a thing that's already happening and has been happening forever and is, is more meaningful to working class people just because it's a question of resources. So I, 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 what she's describing isn't a new situation. It's, it's, just it's the way I grew up. You know, it's the way most I think working class kids grew up and even a lot of middle-class kids, especially if they come from fucking immigrant families and like Yaya lives with you. Um, but there's just no, there's just no other side of the acceleration. It's just, it, we'll finish the project, we'll finish what capital is doing, and then it will be good.
0: Yeah, it' there's an it's absence of utopia, even in the vaguest sense here, which is weird because I picked up this book thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to agree with it most likely, but at least I'll get a sense of what her image is of the post-family abolition world is where we're all holding hands and sharing things and things are plentiful and abundant at least in terms of free time if not material wealth and children are raised in such a way that i don't know i I thought i was expecting something and you don't get that actually at all it's just the destruction of the the, accelerating the destruction that's already ongoing
1: yeah i mean there's no it's it's not necessary if you want to kind of say to abolish Mm -hmm. something to have a ready-made alternative but there are you know, generally the the way that kind of movement goes is to identify what characteristics it is that are, you know, cancelled, transcended, taken to the to the next level. And I thought she was going to do that in the, the kind of the conclusion where she starts throwing away around these uh, five dollar words like Alfhebung and all this sort of thing. I was like, oh yeah, speak, I, I, I can I can kind of see where this might be going. But you know, partly I think it is that there isn't really the the kind of conditions for seeing what an abolished family would look like. Like you can't you can't kind of just come up with this or you can't kind of just do it intellectually. There has to be a movement that's that's driving this forward. That, and that's not, you know, that's not really the case at this point in time. There's no real movement towards the abolition of, of the family, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, except for the, the I, capitalist one. Yeah. Which is just a one of endless kind of atomization at this point.
2: Yeah. And and it benefits capital to own that. I would I would throw into that broadly she sort of She's in the techno utopian realm of thinking that bodies are the problem, like uh, you know, bodies like the fundamental oppressor or whatever. Um, so she is mm-hmm. very um, she she would I think position is it's like I'm I'm framing pregnancy realistically, and it's like no, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of projection and action words on there like I think it's fair to describe birth as violent but pregnancy is cancerous the sun is fucking cancerous. We do things to ourselves all the time that aren't good for us is is the idea to keep us in like pristine little boxes so that with regardless of like personality or, or like or um, hobbies or doing anything are we never supposed to smoke? Are we never supposed to, like, get a little drunk? Are we never supposed to play sports? Are we never supposed to have children? Are we never supposed to... Look, I am driving this car, okay? I want to get out of life with some scratches on it. Like, it's this idea that we have to be sort of preserved and encapsulated. It's very weird.
3: I think that's... It's really part of it because it's... um... You when she i think you know when she i mean you know so she cites the the statistics about family being you know the site of all this kind of abuse and torment and trauma and what have you, but I think the real kind- of, you know beneath that or what's motivating the that kind of thrust is the objection to the fact that um you know those things are not abuse but you know certainly like amber like you said before um that kind of those trauma the trauma that's just part of becoming an adult and a person that's involved in kind of becoming independent you know she wants a world in which there is no kind of vulnerability essentially and there's no possibility of being let down or being kind of um at risk you know and but it's not the case because you know we are intrinsically vulnerable and therefore inevitably um you will be put at risk. And so this is what makes me think that there really is kind of underlying the whole kind of structure of the argument, such as it is, is this desire for um, perfect security, which can only, you know, and it's like that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fantasy, like I say, of the mm. kind of omnipotent mother. That's the only way I can see it.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it is also the fantasy of conflict-free living. Um, which is something that, you know, when i looking back at, at uh, Lash's work, also kind of, it's something that comes through quite clearly in his depictions of the post-60s left. Um, and it's obviously still with us, but it's a, an ideal of um, family living, of interpersonal relations, which can be shed of conflict. And obviously the more we detach from one another, um, uh, the more this ideal seems possible that we can have conflict-free living, that we can be... Um, that we can be effectively, um, you know, not have the bumps and scrapes that life will inevitably uh, give you in the best of circumstances, um, and I think the family abolition one is also is also kind of very much part of that, uh, very much part of that vision. So, just to close off one last uh, question, I guess, which is. Um, you know, it's something that I've already made reference to, which is, you know, the, the left in 2023 seems more like a phalanx attacking crumbled structures, whether it's patriarchy, racism, productivism, things that have largely been um, overcome or um, withered away within kind of, or due to capitalism's own advance, rather than kind of the forces of um, of radical politics kind of taking them apart. And I wonder what the function of this all is, if, um, if you know, the left is, um a party dedicated to attacking crumbling structures or already crumbled structures it's a
1: good question i think because you know that is probably where where this this book and this kind of line of thought ultimately sits and i was kind of thinking about this like it it is almost like it sounds like bad to say it but like a loyalty test almost that within this kind of group or this sort of set of ideas will you advocate for these kind of quite provocative um sort of set of ideas and that. And that sort of thing is a, you know, mm-hmm. that's a good way mm-hmm. to to kind of to, to bind a group together and to kind of make it um, more more capable of of um, furthering its own interests. You don't want to kind of be quite so reductive, but probably it does come back to, you know, come back to class, and that there is a specific class to which these, you know, you don't want to talk about the PMC all, all day every day, but in this case, maybe this uh, term is is applicable because this might be the constituency of these ideas and they are you know quite um maybe so maybe that idea of going into a bar and talking to people about this that almost becomes a positive thing because the fact is that 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 is distinction and that differentiates um advocates of abolishing the family from uh quote-unquote normal people so yeah i mean it's well, a good but question, so right?
3: there are diff- there are a few options right so i mean there's the um So, you know, in terms of the, I mean, you outlined this, Alex, but there's a few kind of political options. So there's girl boss feminism, where like, um, you know, either you can afford surrogacy or you can afford um, private childcare. There's surrogacy, which, um, you know, I mean, there is some surrogacy, which is kind of, um, at least as far as I've read, you know, which is um, kind of people um, not looking to either to survive or to profit, but simply to extend the possibility of giving other people a family and that it's not based on, you know, it's not based on purely a kind of, indeed, right? She hates those women, though. So, and then there's... She,
2: yeah, she, yeah. That's, that's the one she likes. Indeed, <laughs> is, yeah. Is the, is the one that are and then you have the, the, the
3: trans-Marxism, as you say. So, and I think probably she falls closest to that, but, and then you have her kind of position. And that seems to me the kind of the, so her, it's her position... Is the kind of um, it's the hipster network in the urban, you know, kind of in cramped urban living, like I put it earlier. You know, that is the kind of the the sphere of um, of uh, care of support structures, which is both kind of material and effective. Um, and that is the that's where it kind of sits in all of these um, political options that lie before you. And that is the loyalty test, I think, that George was talking about. That's this, you know, for this group um that's their vision of living so you know instead of like paying for um i don't know like you know like a Thai or um i don't know you know uh, like guatemalan kind of uh, teenager to carry to carry your kid for you or to have like um romanian a romanian nanny if you're like a remainer in the uk or whatever it might be in this vision it's um it's a loyalty test for a different group of people in terms of what they want from life and how they envisage their life.
2: Yeah, and to the extent of which they actually believe that or if they've just irony poisoned themselves into thinking they believe it because they forgot they were kidding, it's not clear. But there's definitely like something there. I would say that this general thrust is actually the greatest manifestation of liberalism, it was the most like, you know, it was the most like fighting monsters then become one. Because it sort of, uh, it doesn't just fall in line, it does the work of saying, like, we don't need institutions. Your job as a radical is to smash which obviously has more novelty and more fun and it's leisure building things. Now that's work and work is bad is what we've decided. Even if it's something you would do with no financial remuneration, like parenting or making a fucking chair or, you know, painting or gardening or whatever, it's all work. The only difference between that and, you know, wage labor is a wage again, pretty big difference, but you have do what you love mindset. You don't know the difference between work and leisure and uh, and and building things is work, so you don't want to do it. And I'm not saying building things isn't work. I'm not saying parenting, like, isn't work. I, I, I'm just saying, like, there is joy to work. And one of the true, like, arguments on behalf of the family, um, not in it, insofar as, like, the family as, like, an economic unit, the way Ingalls would say, um, Not that, but like the sense of family that we have, which is already sort of mixed and matched with neighbors, friends, extended family, you know, not for her because she's bourgeois, but like already has been to the extent that, um, that that is a good thing is like, one, it's economic. Like, I don't mean in terms of money, but in terms of like economies of care, it's, Way difficult. Have you ever like worked at an editor's, uh, or worked at a magazine, or been doing something where five editors go through something? It's just impractical. And I think you have to think about the practical end of parenting because it is a practical job. Um, and two, I think it's good for you to not have to choose everything in your life. I think it's good for you to get a randomly assigned people, whether it's through adoption or or biology or your neighbors or or whatever, integrated families, like, the whole absolute freedom all the time, freedom from work, freedom from responsibility, it sounds like a very listless, sad thing. And when I hear about, you know, I feel the love of my queer network and family, and like, yeah, but you're really unhappy. And again, I'm trying not to get into like, any kind of personal attack this is like an incredibly sad person and you're living the lifestyle that you prescribe because it's essentially a lifestyle it's not a political program it's the opposite of a political program she's you know she's George Soros in the EU combined uh when it comes to sort of like social fabric uh she's just keeping doing that work Um, that's the only work she's willing to do is like breaking stuff down because it can be described (laughs) as novelty or leisure. And it just becomes this circular thing. But it's like you're fighting for a world that's already encroaching. It's like you're saying, actually, the tidal wave is good as the shadow forms over our head. When there are, she makes no arguments (laughs) for the positive aspects of family and the reasons why it has existed. And she's sort of positioning it all under the idea that like, it's bad because I don't get to be baby anymore. I don't get to be baby forever. I want to be a brain in a jar and baby forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. Bang on. All right. I think we'll, we'll leave this here. Um, we've uh, criticized Sophie Lewis enough, um, but I hope uh, listener that this has been useful also in kind of sketching out certain tendencies, both in society at large uh, and also politically Uh, in terms of those who are looking to maybe accelerate some of the worst tendencies in contemporary society. Um, Thank you for listening. Thanks, Amber, for joining us. This has been fun. Yeah, Um, thanks. She she knows she's welcome on a long time. time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you ever want to do a follow up with full surrogacy, I just finished that and have extensive notes because it's well. well,
0: Yeah. Well, if we (laughs) if we if we have uh, we can just maybe make this the 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 anti-Sophie Lewis podcast (laughs) and uh, and and run with that. There. Just just be fully destructive. Um, All right. uh, That's it from us for now.
2: Catch you later. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye.